Welcome to the Mayfair Theater Podcast. This is Josh, joined by Lee. Oh, no, sorry, this is Andrew LaPointe. <laughs> Lee will be playing the part of Andrew LaPointe, who's at home sleeping right now because it's noon. Sleeping. I had 40 minutes of sleep last night. Why did you have 40 minutes of sleep? Because my daughter took off to Tampa, Florida this morning. She had to be at the airport at 4 a.m., and I stayed up late watching uh, Roman J. Israel Esquire, okay. which was great. I missed that when we had it. I yeah, I did, it. too. I did, too. It was a one nomination. It was Molly's Game in that. Yeah. And I guess so I've caught up. And then there's that Netflix movie, but to me that doesn't count. Yeah. <laughs> so I got up at 3.30 and had to get it to the airport for 4. And oh, my God. It's um, I Actually, I don't feel as bad as I should feel. Like I couldn't think of for the life of me, I can't think of any lyrics from Thunderball. Yeah, <laughs> who wrote Thunderball? Tom, uh, Tom. Tom Jones. Tom Jones. See, uh, that's the kind of thing. Like I feel like I have a concussion. That's the kind of thing I should know. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that should just roll off my tongue with ease. But I was driving back trying to think of those lyrics the whole time. I don't know. Maybe I am out of sorts. Maybe I shouldn't be driving. <laughs> that's, that's maybe like, I shouldn't be on the podcast right now. That's like the nerd drunk driving test. It's not saying the alphabet backwards or. Tom Jones song. It's like, it's like saying, like, who did the song for this? Or yeah. Who played well, this guy? Yeah. And Tag and Bink is sitting on the table here, which is really exciting. Yeah, you uh, texted me yesterday. I've never asked anyone ever in my life yeah. to borrow comics. <laughs> there you go. Never. So, so proud. <laughs> Don't tell anyone this. So, so podcast. <laughs> well, that's, I was fascinated with that because you're a giant Star Wars nerd. Mm-hmm. And that, that is a hole in your nerddom is these yeah. hundreds of comic books that are now not out of canon anyhow. Yeah. But you said well, you gave another one a chance recently, didn't you? Uh, oh, Dr. Aphra. Dr. Aphra. I, yeah, I read the first two of those, and she's really cool. They're good. And I imagine she's going to get a movie. Like, that's exactly where the Dr. Aphra kind of character is exactly where maybe where the movies need to go. Like, a new character, this, like, new part of the universe. anti-hero female Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah, Who I'm sure some big shot actress would kill to get that part. Mm-hmm. And her sidekicks are these murderous droids and a crazy Wookiee. Yeah. And it could be a really... And, but it, it's not too dark. It's like fun Deadpool dark, you know? There's right. still a lot of humor in it. Yeah. I don't know if Star Wars would ever go R-rated, but they could if they wanted to nowadays. 40's the new 30. It's like, R-rated's the new PG. Like, yeah. they're just throwing that around like it doesn't matter anymore because now movies like Logan and Deadpool, they're making money being R-rated, where once upon a time that was like, no, you gotta be... Sacrilege. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Ron Howard tweeted this picture of yes. <laughs> uh, these two men, two actors in the movie, two uh, Empire officers, and he hashtagged Tag and Bink. And it's now crazy. Tag and Bink are in Star Wars. I need to know who Tag and Bink are. A little <laughs> bit. I know I watched this, this really great YouTube channel, Star Wars Explained, which I watched like every video he puts out, and he did a really good explanation of Tag and Bink. And yeah. They're funny. And, and it was so hard to send you that text, Josh. <laughs> I need to borrow, borrow four comic books. <laughs> and I said to you, I think they're in my place and not in my mom's basement. And they were, in fact, in my place. <laughs> as soon as uh, I sent you that text, I found my virginity underneath the couch. <laughs> which is hiding there, smiling, waving at me. <laughs> yeah. Jump back in. <laughs> I was saying that recently, how it's... You know, you'll hear women talk about men poorly because men are horrible. But those men yeah. they always talk about aren't men I know because yeah. the boys I know are me and my friends who in high school played Dungeons and Dragons 
and never had an affair or never did. And I know those bad guys are out there, but I always, it's alien to me because I'm always like, well, I'm, I'm reading comic books and I'm doing this and, you know. Of mice and men, Josh. And, yes. And it's nothing, we're just surrounded by a bunch of mice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I said, like, my mom said, having a nerd is, I don't know how you feel about this as a parent. Max is a nerd anyhow. I don't know how. how... I'm hoping he won't be. I think, I'm yeah. trying to think, see, it's like, I think Star Wars, Star, there's a difference between Star Trek fans and Star Wars fans. The Star Wars fans think Star Trek fans right. are, are nerds, <laughs> yeah. and Star Wars fans think Star Wars fans can still get laid. Right. <laughs> and I think they're just nerds. Because my mom said having a nerd was great, because you were never really worried that they were out, that I was out partying or doing something. I was at somebody's house in a basement playing Street Fighter Two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was my high school years. Yeah, you know? I, uh, yeah. I was thinking of, on the way here, Jumbo Video yeah. and Bandito Video. Just before West Coast opened, and I went working there. Yeah. The, the heyday of... I remember before Jumbo in Ottawa, you could only rent movies in a convenience store. And Jumbo opened, and that was my weekend. I didn't go to the bars. I didn't go to hall to drink before any... You know, before I had to wait till I was 19, I didn't go to strip clubs, drink beer, do drugs. I just spent all my money and time watching movies from the horror section of Jumbo and then Bandito and then going to work at West Coast. My friends and I rented... Evil Dead 2 and Nightbreed over and over and over and over. Mm. And it was years later, like in adulthood, where we were sitting around, and I was like, we should have stole those and paid for them, and that would have been cheaper than renting them every two weeks. But you posted a photo recently, and it was oh. a, it's a thing that I didn't know about, but you got a couple of... Video discs. Video discs. Yeah. Do you have something to play those on? Well, when I was young... See, this is how I remember it, and I, but I grew up... This is Newfoundland, and everything yes. is backwards in Newfoundland. <laughs> yeah. Video discs were a thing before VCRs. I, I mean, before VCRs got re- you know were affordable enough to be in everyone's house. Right. You could get a video disc player. I, I don't think it was cheap, and I don't think the discs were cheap. But if you and your husband, like if you and your your spouse had made a good income, you could maybe afford one. My mom's best friend had one, a video disc, and she had about forty movies on video disc, and it's quite literally movies on vinyl. That's crazy. I've never seen these that I remember. <laughs> we like, have one in the candy bar for Night Shift. Okay. I can pop it open for you. It's yeah, really yeah. neat to look at it inside. So I would go over, to, I'd love going to her house. I was like, let's go visit your mom, your, yeah. your best friend mom. And I would just, I wouldn't sleep. I would watch Grease, Airplane, Godfather, Urban Cowboy, Friday the 13th, over and over and over again, because you could watch movies at home. To me, that blew my mind. And it wasn't until we got to finally get a VCR that, you know, video discs, I noticed, like, you can see, I didn't see them anymore. I remember there was a store in uh, Newfoundland that had thousands of video discs for rent. Yeah. And I used to love going through them. I never could rent them because I didn't have a player and I didn't feel obligated to bring movies over to her house. But video discs were, it's kind of like, they're about the same size of an LP or a laser disc. And you put the entire, you know, like when you have VHS, yeah. you take it out of a box and you put it, the cassette in the, in the, in the VCR. Imagine just stuffing everything in the VCR. <laughs> right. Not taking it out of the box. And that's what the video discs were like. You just put the whole thing in and then halfway through the movie you take it out, flip it, side yeah. B and you put side B that's in crazy. and watch. And it was standard definition. It wasn't like... It and w- pan and scan? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It wasn't... It, yeah, there wasn't... Widescreen I don't think existed until I think Manhattan is the first VHS release. Right. Yeah, a pan and scan. And it wasn't like... Someone asked me, is it better quality than VHS? I mean, I don't think so. <laughs> it was just a movie at home. And then tape, then tape became a thing and tape took over and yeah you never I, you never saw video posters in stores that say you know I remember the Rambo poster I still have it in my up in my house now available on VHS and beta 
Right. And yeah, VC yeah. and then these early video posters would always say VHS or beta. No one ever said video disc, VHS and beta. So I mean someone challenged me on this like, concept that VCR are older than the video disc player, but I think not the kinds of VCRs you'd have in your home. Yeah. That, that, in average you know, it would seem like overnight everyone had a VCR in their living room. But there was maybe a year where maybe one person on the block had it. Right, right, right. <laughs> but I remember and then you'd always go over to their house and watch movies on the on the VCR. I remember when my mom's best friend rented a VCR CR. And that weekend we watched VHS instead of video disc. And, uh, you know, and I never noticed the picture quality difference at all. I just, so to answer your question, no, I don't have a, a, a video disc player. I have a laser disc player at home that works. Yeah. I don't have a video disc player. I feel like I should get one now that I have yeah. Star Wars and the Empire Strikes Back on video disc. You know, Return of the Jedi never came in on video disc because by 83, the machines were it was gone. gone. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. yeah, my mom used to rent or like get laser disc players for us from the library. And we get cool stuff like Star Wars and Blade Runner and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I have a memory of that, of watching these crazy, giant, shiny discs that you'd have to flip over halfway through on this giant machine that you'd plug into your little crappy color TV. It was exciting because they were better quality than VHS. Yeah. They were in widescreen, which was really exciting. So you get to see Star Wars for the first time in anamorphic widescreen. When I was really young, before video discs, when I lived in the Nepean in the 70s, you could go, I lived in uh, Forest Ridge on Baseline, way out in the Nepean, and uh, the the Ottawa Public Library, the branch that was out on off Baseline, had 16mm films. My best friend had a 16mm projector in his basement, and he'd always rent westerns, and he'd rent churches and show westerns around the cowboy movies around the city, but we'd always watch movies at his house, in his basement, mostly westerns, and one day he rented Star Wars. And he took it home one reel at a time because it was really popular. You would, you couldn't get the whole movie. Like we'd bring in a twenty minute reel here, twenty minute, and watching that at his house in the seventies was thrilling. It's like watching like movie serials, like watching like yeah. one a week. Star Wars was like that at home. Uh, you know, I'd seen it in the theater a few times from beginning to end, but at his house, it was really fun watching the Millennium Falcon. I remember like watching that the, the Escape from the Death Star over and over and over again. I think that was the first one we rented. But they had, they had, you know, movies were made available on 16mm up until recently. I remember when we started the Mayfair nine years ago, I was looking at Warner Brothers' 16mm list films that they still had available, and The Matrix was on 16mm. That's crazy. Yeah, it was in Montreal, but I know, I know. 16mm, you know, like airplanes, when you watch a movie on an airplane back in the day, the stewards weren't only trained to serve drinks and sandwiches, but they were also trained projectionists because they had to run a 16 millimeter projector from the back of the plane onto a screen for everyone to watch and so a lot of 60 millimeter prints were done for schools for airplanes that's nuts i didn't realize that that it was on an airplane yeah yeah isn't that that funny to think of that now it's like everyone's got their iphone right i liked watching movies with everyone on the plane and and i used to like laughing at movies and and no one would yeah i I used to pay attention to how people on a plane were watching a movie or not watching a movie and and i love bragging about what movie we saw on the plane now it's not a part of the conversation because everyone just has their iPhones now it's crazy because one of our patrons sent me a picture and they were on a plane to somewhere and it was right after we screened oh one of the um was it an Argento film what was some, some recent film like that that we screened Suspiria Suspiria maybe and it was on the airplane. And that blew my mind. Because you think on the airplane, it'd be like just complete mainstream. Oh, I see what you're saying, yeah. But now that they're, they're screening re-releases like that, Suspiria, and, and like that's crazy to me that you yeah. think somebody would be sitting on a plane yeah. watching on the back of a seat this Argento movie. <laughs> and 
Sometimes I'm always, you'll notice, you know, there'll be like some stupid Fast and the Furious on there, stuff like that. But then sometimes there's some, you know, crazy movie filled with sex, drugs, rock and roll. And I'm very conscious of sitting there and watching some R-rated movie that some kid sitting across the aisle from me might look over and see me watching some crazy murder scene or something. Yeah, I, I swear to God, I can't think of the, I, like, I can't think of the lyrics of a Tom Jones song. I can't think of what yeah. movie I watched on an airplane once, but there was a plane crash. And, yes. And I, and I was like, whoa, whoa, and I looked around, <laughs> thought if anyone else was freaking, it was a prop plane that crashed. I think, who was driving it? I think it was Pierce Brosnan was driving it, but it crashed in the desert, and I thought, that this should be not in this movie on the airplane, because they, they would edit movies for airplanes. I remember the exact same thing. It was this bad romantic comedy with Sandra Bullock and Ben Affleck and it was probably the last time that it was like that because it was like us all watching the same movie Mm -hmm. and the opening scene is not a plane crash per se but like an almost plane crash like the plane's about to take off and something happens and I was sitting there watching it I'm like they shouldn't be showing us this like (laughs) I I couldn't believe that that and maybe it just passed by because it didn't seem like a movie like airplane or something and they're like ah some romantic comedy and nobody watched it Mm -hmm. and the opening 10 minutes is an almost plane crash like, well, that's not getting our hopes up for sitting here watching this movie. Yeah, I have a print. I have a 16 millimeter print of Airplane from Australia. And in Australia, it wasn't released as Airplane. It was released as a movie called Flying High. Weird. So it's Airplane. It starts off and it says Flying High with an explanation point after High, just like Airplane. Same exact font. And someone told me it was an airplane issue. It was something you'd watch on Australian Air because boobies were cut out of the print. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I showed it on a float, a Christmas parade float oh, yeah. once in the Mayfair Theater Orleans. Uh-huh. I projected it on the float, and we watched the airplane for the entire Christmas parade. So I was happy then the boobies were cut out. Yeah. <laughs> we screened, I think, uh, oh, shoot, what's the roller derby movie? Um, Kansas City Bomber. Bomber, yeah. So good. Rock out Welsh. I'm pretty sure we screened that 16 millimeter yes, back, back yes, in the day. Yes, it, and many of the Planet of the Apes movies. Yeah. I think two of them, we showed all five Planet of the Apes, and two of them were on 16. And Zardos. I remember we showed Zardos yeah. <laughs> on 16 millimeter, and people showed up with Zardos t shirts. It showed on 16 millimeter Panascan. I'm right, like, right. I didn't know. I thought Panascan existed only for home video. Panascan existed for 16 millimeter because it mostly always 16 was a square image. Yeah. Although you can get anamorphic widescreen lenses for projectors now. I remember the, at Carleton University, they have an amazing 60mm library at Carleton University, and they have anamorphic widescreen prints, and they have lenses you screw on the front of the projector to widen the image. And I've seen many films at, at Carleton in, in CinemaScope that look beautiful. They have a 60mm print of Empire Strikes Back. What? They And they also traded with Martin Scorsese. Martin Scorsese went into the library, apparently at Carleton, in the 80s or 90s, found out what they had and he traded some of his personal prints for them so Carlton has Martin Scorsese that's crazy his prints that he used to own in their library yeah they must have they have a really big temperature controlled fridge storing all this great 16mm films and I'm sure they're not showing any of it right they should now. come here and do like a festival they, I'm sure they're showing DVDs or Blu-rays video projection I remember when I went to Carleton University it was, we were still watching films on 16 and then I had a really cool young professor Teresa Rowett and she wanted to get everyone's interest in a second year horror I think it was a second year genre class and she was going to show Texas Chainsaw Massacre and after class I said how are you showing that she 
because well, I have a VHS, so I have uh, a, I have a laser disc yeah. that's been restored, and I watched it a year ago, like when I bought it, and I it was the first time I watched it because it, the VHS is darkened and and, right. and you can't see anything. So I convinced it. I brought in my laser disc player, hooked it up to their video projector, and showed a laser disc of Texas Chainsaw Massacre one year, and that was thrilling. It was a lot of hard work. Now, but anyway, I'm trying to get it. Those 16 millimeter prints at Carlton are just sitting there, not rotting because they're in a temperature-controlled right. vault. But I wonder what's going to happen to them. God, they should let us screen some of those. That'd be cool. Where's our, Do we have, still have a 16 upstairs? No. But I brought in a projector once. We showed Harry Knuckles from the balcony. And right. Looked, I can put it here where yeah. we're sitting and project a pretty pretty good image there. Yeah. And it'll look pretty good. Because I mean, the 16 millimeter projector used to be up where our digital projector right. is now. It's down at the front of the cinema. Now it's down at the front of the cinema. So it still could work. We just don't have it. We, we are a rarity. I've told this story so many times when I'm showing off the booth, but many projection booths are smaller, so they had to make the Sophie's choice of we have to throw out our 35-millimeter <laughs> projector to fit in the digital. 16. Or 16, yeah. We have tons of space, so we got two 35-millimeter projectors yeah. up there where on rare, lovely occasion we still get to use it, but our digital projector's in there too. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As hard-boiled the last film we showed? Maybe. Was hard-boiled? Yeah. 35. And for like normal like, exhibitions, it was that film noir from L.A. and Julia Marchesi's documentary from L.A. Right. Were both new releases and on Crispin, 35. And Crispin Glover's yes. films look great. And you were saying Crispin is wheels are in motion on his new thing? Or is yeah, he wheels sh- in motion might still make a yeah, few years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, fil- he's, he's rap production on his, his third feature film. Oh, wow. Film. Okay. So hopefully it'll be at the main. Yeah, I know he wants to come back and show it. He just has to finish it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a long process. Cutting it putting all the music in. He's meticulous. Meticulous, right. like Kubrick. Yeah, and somebody was like, what is he doing now? And I'm like, he's still working. He's on, a, he's on a TV show right now. I think he's on American Gods. I saw him at the Cannes Film Festival. They're premiering. They found this old Orson Welles movie. Oh, right, yes. never screened. And they had a screening in L.A., and all these people were invited, but they weren't allowed to talk to each other. They weren't allowed to talk about what they saw, but someone snapped a photo of the room, and Chris McGlover sitting in the front row, Ryan Johnson sitting right behind him, yeah. and Quentin Tarantino over to the right. And I don't know anyone else in the room. And they're all just sitting there not talking to each other. It looks really awkward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's funny. I, I was just listening to um, the horror filmmaker Mick Garris has a podcast. And I was just listening to his episode today with John Carpenter. It's a brand new episode. And they mentioned that. So maybe John Carpenter was in the room too. Or oh, maybe, yeah, oh they, really? They mentioned the, the movie anyhow, that it looks like it's creeping towards actually getting a release. Right. And I think John Carpenter, just in the tone of his voice, hinted that maybe it's not a cinematic masterpiece, mm-hmm. you know. We all know that poor old Orson kind of peaked too early. He, <laughs> usually your first movie is not the greatest film of all time. Usually you kind of work up towards that, you know. It's the 315, the Paris of Orson Welles' career. Yeah. I went to see the new Clint Eastwood movie. Oh, yeah. And it's the worst film I've seen probably well, this didn't century. did he use, like, people? <laughs> the three principals are the real soldiers. Real, real people, yeah. The, the real soldiers who went on that train to Paris saved the day. They took right. down a terrorist who was going to gun down everyone on the, on the train. Yeah. And so they're heroes. And they got to make a movie with Clint Eastwood. But the sad thing is the reviews are so bad. Now they're losers. Now everyone, yeah. every review is like, oh, those guys are terrible actors. It's like, that's their thanks. for. Yeah. Well, the actress who plays one of their mothers, I forget her name, but she was on American The Office for a long time. Yeah, and, and the other the other woman's from uh, Arrested Development. Oh, yeah, And then yeah. Tobias is on it. Is, oh, yeah. He plays a coach in the school. 
But they showed a clip, and it was just a simple clip of her dropping off her son at the airport when he's off to go off to war, and she's all being a worried mother. Yeah. A normal little scene. And he was so bad. Like, yeah. like I'm just like, well, it's, no. It's, it's, I, I understand the weird gimmick of what Eastwood tried to do, but... A year ago, I read that. I'm like, wow, that's really cool. Yeah. Just, those guys must be pretty good actors. Yeah, He's yeah, going to yeah. work with a Clint Eastwood movie. I didn't know it would turn... Like, it makes me think of Hot Knives, which we're showing again tonight. Right. Like, that's a movie with non-actors that does such a better job <laughs> right. of working yeah. with non-actors. This, this, I went to see it in Orleans. I was the only one in the theater. And I just kept my phone on. I was taking pictures. I was laughing. I really enjoyed myself watching yeah. this. It was so bad. There's like... I don't even know how good it would be if it was real actors. If it was like Tom Hardy and Michael Fassbender. Right, right. And Donald Glover or something because there's all these scenes of them like getting gelato. So this gelato is really good. Yeah, man, we gotta come back here. Oh look, it's the Colosseum. I can't believe we're in Rome. I can't believe man built this. Look how big it is. And it's like, it's, it's nonsense. This. There's a one scene in the movie where a character is wearing a pale rider T-shirt. I'm like, really? Did you have a pale rider T-shirt yeah, yeah, yeah. in the in the 90s? And there's a, when they're kids in the room. There's a Full Metal Jacket poster on the wall. Yeah. And the reverse shot behind them. There's a poster for Letters of Iwo Jima, uh-huh. which is, I think it's supposed to be when- in the 80s. <laughs> oh, it was atrocious. I couldn't believe it. I was so, felt so bad for Clint Eastwood and everyone yeah. involved in the movie. I, I think he felt pressured after the success of American Sniper to make another hurrah! Make another hurrah right-wing... Because, yeah, Clint Eastwood is this right-wing Republican right, guy. Right, On a sliding scale, I think he's kind of often a nice right-wing Republican guy, but still... He does these kind of war pictures, and we screened American Sniper, and I found it rough to get through because it was so right-wing and so yeah. let's kill the bad guys. And then when it, A, was made so much money, and B, was still acclaimed, I was like, wow, I'm really, yeah. America is a different place. <laughs> like America. If you ever see the 310, no yeah. 315 in the Paris, you'll like American Sniper a lot more, I think. Right, yeah. It actually makes every movie ever made a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> Well, in retrospect. It's funny. I was listening to another podcast that you probably like called I Was There Too. And it's about people who had little small roles in big, important movies. And so in this one, he's talking to an actress who played a family member of the boxer in Million Dollar Baby. Oh, cool. I love that movie. And she was one of the redneck evil sisters in the mm-hmm. movie. And she has these great stories of Clint Eastwood. And she's like, it's the most laid back set you're ever on. Yeah. The hours are like nine to six, like it's like a real job. He comes up very nice and goes, okay, in this part, just you know, walk up and ask your mom what's for dinner. There's no like line or anything, yeah. and she does that. Almost everything was one take, unless it was something blatant, like, oh, sorry, the film ran out, or oh, the boom was in the shot. And it made an Oscar-winning movie, yeah. you know? So, and then she, they were saying how, it makes you think, when you hear about stuff like that, versus <laughs> the directors who are like, do 50 takes and, and yeah. yell at people and everything, it's like, yeah, maybe we don't have to do that. Maybe you can just be laid back and still make a masterpiece, you know? Yeah, apparently it's like church being on the set of a Clint Eastwood movie. And she said it was the best food she ever had. <laughs> like, it's the same crew for like 40 years. Yeah. Like, that's the same cinematographer the same sound guy the same craft service people and she said just felt like a family and it was and it still made good product so when you hear about other people making good product but like say like stanley kubrick who do 150 shots and Mm. stress everybody out you're like well maybe you can just be laid back and cool and nice to people 
I watched this film uh, this week. I tried to book here at the Mayfair. I really wanted to get it, but the investors didn't want to release it theatrically in North America because, Ooh. especially in Canada, where the, all the piracy comes from, they think. Right. So he sent me a link to watch Along for the Ride, the documentary about Dennis Hopper. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. excellent. And uh, it's about his best friend who was along for the ride since Easy Rider. He met him on the set of Easy Rider, and it's true. All those guys and sets, a lot of them worked together for their whole career. Yeah. It's, 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 it's romantic. Oh, yeah, it's great. Okay, we're running short on time, so you have to get to a meeting. But let's mention the films playing from February 16th through 22nd, 2018. We're recording this on the 15th, and I'll get this up today or tomorrow. So we have one holdover, Darkest Hour, coming back for a repeat week. It's up for five or six Oscars. Uh, I saw that. Really good. Gary Oldman's as great as he always is. It's funny that I there's been... I hear Gary Oldman's name, I think of Gary Coleman. Yeah. <laughs> From different strokes. Yeah. yeah, he's still yeah, playing Churchill. The weirdest thing is, is, is that that'd be great. Churchill has been in so much stuff lately because we screened another movie called Churchill yes. a few months ago. There was a mini series or a TV series called The Crown where John Lithgow played Churchill. Oh my god! And then there's Dunkirk, which yep. is the mirror of this movie. It's just so strange that all this is happening right now. So Darkest Hour coming back. Two new Oscar films for us. I, Tanya and Phantom Thread. Oh my god, Phantom Thread. I'm dying to see it. I'm That's glad I'm going to come see it as soon as I... That is the polar opposite of 315 to... Uh, right. I always call it 310 to Human. I mean to say right. 315 to Paris, but I'm always confusing it with 310 to Human. Yeah, it's the polar opposite of Clint Eastwood's new film. Phantom Thread is dynamite. I love Paul Thomas Anderson. Like, Magnolia, Boogie Nights, everything. I always compliment him. And this is a, a normal size movie. It's like two hours. But even his three-hour movies, they never feel three hours to me. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm invested. Have you seen The Hard Eight? Yes. See, I lent my DVD out to someone. Oh, no. And I don't know who it was. I'm like, you can't get it anywhere. And no. you can't download that movie. And like, ah. I saw that on, like, VHS so when we worked at West Coast Video when it was called something else, I think. Oh, and, was that a different title? I think it had a really? different title. It's, it's like, it's the character's name or something like oh, that. Oh, all right. But, yeah, I saw that yes. on VHS back so in the good. day. And then I, Tanya looks great, like a yep. super fun, crazy biopic about uh, truth, stranger than it's fiction. Goodfellas. It's yeah. like Goodfellas. It's like a classic Scorsese film, but set to the escapades. And in time for the Olympics. It's yes. a perfect movie for the Olympics. Yes. Then we have a movie called Happy End, which is a Palm Door nominee at Cannes. Michael Hedeke's new film. I'm not really familiar with it, and we have that squeezed in for a couple nights. And That's what? Ian Driscoll's like, favorite filmmaker. Oh, is it? Oh, cool. Then we have two premieres. One, what's it called? Black Hollow Cage, which looks kind of like an art house sci-fi movie. Yeah. I saw the trailer, and this sounds backhanded compliment, but I do want to see it. And I was just like, I don't know what that was. <laughs> like, the trailer is kind of a nice house and a dog and a kid with a robot hand. And then... <laughs> you should never be a distributor. <laughs> I, I know, I know. But that's the trailer. It's like, and then a 2001-esque thing shows up in the woods. Yeah. And there's nothing in the trailer that tells you what's going on either. I like that trailer in the poster. I do too, yeah. I don't know what the hell's going on, but I, I want to see it. But I'm like, it. yeah, I want to see that. <laughs> but that's how I described it. It looks like a, a really cool art house sci-fi. Yeah. Where, not sci-fi in the term of alien invasion and laser swords and stuff. But so that's one of our premieres <laughs> this week. Swords. The other premiere is the Barack Obama documentary, The Final Year, which is supposed to be amazing. And I hear it's more tense than any fictionalized oh, yeah. representation of politics. It's done really well in Toronto. We try, I thought we'd try it for three nights. It's just hard to pack it in. There's so many movies to show. Yeah. It's hard to pack anything in. It's funny. Somebody was asking, whatever, are we getting Shape of the Water? And I always tell them, I'm like, well, we the, the blessing of the curse is we have one screen. 
the other blessing and the curse is we seem to be given the opportunity lately of having stuff where a few years ago we wouldn't have all these Oscar movies before yeah, the no, Oscars. No. So that's a big change. I think we got those two new movies this week because of Black Panther coming out this weekend and pushed everything out. But Shape of Water is still playing everywhere and it's yeah. about to win Best Picture at the Oscars. Yeah. So, you know, I don't. we might... And we might be able to get it for Oscar weekend. I don't know, if, but that's not 100%. Yeah, what, what else have we been... Oh, and Three Billboards. I guess that's the other one. That's yes. Circling. Oh, and The Post. So there's still a couple we haven't screened yes. yet, but they're all... We know they're there. We're going to yeah. get them as soon as the powers Three of Three Billboards last. might be next Friday, actually. I have to wait till Tuesday to confirm that. I appreciate that people think we have the power to book whatever we want, but we don't. We, yeah. we kind of have to go by what the powers that be deem us worthy of. And then at the same time, fitting in stuff. Like, you know, the, the six movies we have this week... One's an acclaimed international film, two autumn premieres, and three Oscar films. So it's... A musical. Know. Yeah. <laughs> two musicals. We have two musicals, Grease and Oh, and I forgot, Music. I forgot to mention that. Then we have like kind of special one night or one afternoon only films. One is Sound of Music, which is being put on by Company of Fools. It's a fundraiser. They had a crazy sold out fundraiser, wait, a month ago or a little while ago. So they're doing an encore of that for Sound of Music. And then Grease, presented by Tracy Arnett Realty, which is the Family Day presentation, which is a free presentation. Get here early, it's going to be sold out. And then Rocky Horror Picture Show, our monthly screening of Rocky Horror Picture Show. So then we have even more. It means we're screening like nine movies this week. Mm -hmm. And it's so packed. I didn't mind the repeat weeks we had so often because I could catch up a bit. Yeah. Because this week there's, you know, I want to see all these 17 movies. 17 movies. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to get to see all these movies. So it's good that we can hold movies over every once in a while. Yeah, and I also want to try to squeeze in film stars don't die in Liverpool. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's so many on the Oscars are kind of killing everything. Hopefully we can get that in the week after or the week after And then that. for purely, you know, on occasion we do screen mainstream movies. Like, I'm just off the top of my head in the past year or so, you know, we'll play King Kong or we'll play a... Uh, Mad Max. Or, Mad know. Max or something like that or Star Wars. But you look at what we're screening, and we just we don't have room for yeah. the mainstream and stuff. We've been offered big movies too. Yeah, like a week. So something came out, and a week later, it's like, "Do you want to open?" And like, "Uh, yes." Yeah. It just died at the box of Hostiles or something. Okay, yeah. And it's like we don't have room. We can't. We're making we're making too much Ladybird money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ladybird money. We make and, it rain, Ladybird. <laughs> yeah. I'll just mention before we wrap up because people are always asking us to play old movies and. I always tell them, I was like, I don't want to break your heart, but sadly, old movies don't get the box office that new movies do. Back in the day, we'd screen a little festival and nobody would come. And Although okay, Casablanca did well last Casablanca night. did well. There's exceptions. Casablanca, mm -hmm. Die Hard, It's a Wonderful Life. But we have two things coming up in upcoming months, one in March, one in April. In March, we have Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Say it slower. Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. <laughs> oh my God, it's such a good movie. The, it's the apocalypse now of sex movies. <laughs> my favorite thing is always to say, Written by Pulitzer Prize winner Roger Ebert. <laughs> oh, I love that movie. Then we have in April, so that March 22nd oh, yeah. is Dolls. Silence. April is the Great Silence, Ooh. a 50th anniversary presentation of this... Kabuchi, Sergio Kabuchi <coughs> film. This crazy western. From the director of Django, the original Django, that inspired The Hateful Eight. And it stars... Klaus Kinski? Crazy man, Klaus Kinski. Yeah. <laughs> Those are two classics that if you... And Franco Nero, from the Franco, yeah. Django. Django. If you haven't seen them or if you have only seen them on yeah, VHS or something. Shut up and come see it. Prove yeah. to us it's worth showing old movies. And, and the I, Collective Arts is coming in for Jeff or uh, Russ Myers. So we'll have... Like, to me, that's big. That's a big deal. Yeah. Like, if I didn't... If we had if I had no affiliation with Mayfair and I saw the Beyond the Valley Dolls was playing in a movie theater yeah. in Ottawa, 
I'd feel yeah. blessed. Yeah. <laughs> I could drive to a theater and watch that movie on the big screen. God darn it all. <laughs> <laughs> so come out and see it. And yes. I tell people, the reason we play Die Hard each year is because people keep coming back to Die Hard. The reason we play The Room is yeah. people keep coming to The Room. The reason we stopped playing fill in the blank is because people didn't come to it. Even the Bytown does their uh, essential cinema nights, and sometimes they do all right with it, but most times it's, you know, yeah. they're not making money showing it. They're just showing it because they can. I wouldn't mind trying a night like that a, mm. once a month or something, but it's so hard, and it's such a risk to Well, take. it broke my heart to cancel Kids Club. You were very nice about it, saying, like, well, we could keep trying because I know you like it, and, and you like, so, like, Bad News Bears and stuff like that. Yeah. But, but you just look at you look at the run we had, and we were playing Superman, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Bad News Bears, Dark Crystal, and the average attendance was like 20 people. I know. And you know what? After you canceled, I thought, we should show Lassie Come Home. I watched, oh, because yeah. I watched it again on Turner Classic Movies. Yeah. It's not available on Blu-ray or anywhere HD. Darn it all. That's a good family. <laughs> I wonder if we could we trick like it. a... Like, remember we did those dog days where we had like... We, we could trick some dog people to present I'll, it I, I have to, I'll have to see if Paramount has any la- old Lassie. I don't doubt they do. Those yeah. Lassie movies are great. They're like Elizabeth Taylor's in the first one. Right, right, right. She's like 10 and she looks just like Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah. And the sequel is set... Uh, the Son of Lassie is set during the war. And it's really exciting. Cool. They're fun films. Uh, I have to apologize. I, I think I can cut around most of it, but I've been coughing through this podcast and I'm just getting over... Stupid flu that's Diarrhea. been going around. Yeah. <laughs> cooties. It's cooties. A strong case of cooties. So, yeah, we'll wrap this up. Thanks for listening. Go visit our friends at House of Targ. Check us out on all of our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc. If you're listening on iTunes or anywhere, you can vote for us. We appreciate a nice review on there. And we'll see you back here soon to see some cool movies at the Mayfair. Keep buying movie tickets. Keep eating lots of popcorn. Thanks for listening. Thank you for having us. And done. Now you can go read Tag and Bink. Stand by for the most extraordinary chain of events ever swept up into high adventure. Hey, Larry, where's the forklift? Forklift! It's over there with the baggage loader. Flying High. Flying High is drama. Uh, this is Dr. Brody at the Mayo Clinic. There's a passenger on your Chicago flight 209 or a little girl named Lisa Davis en route to Minneapolis. She's scheduled for a heart transplant. I want you to make sure that she's kept in a reclined position and that a continuous watch is kept on her IV. Flying High is action. <laughs> Flying High is romance. I love you, Elaine. I love you. Flying High is music. There is only one river. There is only one sea. Flying High is dancing. has the screen been so big. You ever been in a cockpit before? No, sir, I've never been up in a plane before. Peter Graves. You ever seen a grown man naked? Karim Abdul-Jabbar. My name is Roger Murdoch. I'm an airline pilot. Leslie Nielsen. This woman has to be gotten to a hospital. A hospital? What is it? It's a big building with patients, but that's not important right now. Lloyd Bridges. Johnny, what can you make out of this? This? 
Why, to make up. Or a brooch, or pterodactyl, please keep your own. Robert Stack. All right, Steve, let's face a few facts. And we hope you enjoy the rest of your flight. Julie Haggerty. By the way, is there anyone on board who knows how to fly a plane? Can you fly this plane and land it? Robert Hayes. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. I gotta get out of here. Calm down, now get back to your seat. I'll take care of this guy. Calm down, get a hold of yourself. Oh, do you want to fall? The most incredible adventure the screen has ever created. He's coming right at us! The big news is... Flying High.